Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every week we get together, we take a look at the upcoming readings for your Sunday Divine Service. We examine them in various ways. Um, What does the Bible say? How is this to be understood in today's matrix or milieu? And uh, also some uh, homiletical helps for the pastors that are listening in. And we are very, very thankful for this opportunity. This year, we've been beginning with the gospel reading, then moving to the Old Testament, and then in our last segment, picking up the epistle, which is almost always a practical application of the first two readings. We are not looking at the introit in this year's uh, Proclaiming the Ones, but in every year prior, we have started with the introit to lay the foundation for our readings. We've got lots of those programs archived. You can check those out, www.thecross957.com. Org. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for Trinity 18, the 18th Sunday after Trinity. We are in, uh, if I'm if I'm uh, remembering correctly, Pastor, we are in Jesus' uh, last discourse in Matthew, the end of the world discourse. It's sometimes referred to early on in that uh, end of the world discourse. Matthew 22, 34 to 46. Vicar, take it away. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. All right. We have a uh, wonderful, wonderful pericope before us here in Matthew 22, 34 to 46. We have a uh, marvelous distinction between law and gospel. I don't know about you, Pastor. I love to preach on this text the uh, the flow of the text just seems to jump right off the page and just is the sermon outline in and of itself. Maybe that's why we should preach on the Old Testament or the epistle this week because uh, this one is so much fun, you know, to force ourselves into some, some type of uh, personal suffering in that respect. Pastor, what, uh, what can you tell us about uh, the discourses of Jesus in Matthew in general, and specifically this last 
discourse, sometimes referred to as the uh, end-of-the-age discourse. Yeah, well, uh, the entire Gospel of Matthew is divided up into little sections of narrative where Jesus is traveling around, and then those are separated by discourses, or maybe an easier way to say it would be sermons, uh, sermons where Jesus is preaching. Yeah, and, and I think that's really great because you see then that Jesus operates the same way that we do in the church today. One guy gets up and talks a lot, and, and even this particular text shows us the things Jesus is talking about are based upon the words of Scripture from the Old Testament as well, and so it's not like he's just doing new things. He's preaching and telling you what the Old Testament actually teaches, uh, uh, in his sermons, and they, he's pointing himself out uh, that all the scriptures are about him. This particular one is really great because it is uh, in Jerusalem uh, where Jesus is preparing to go to the cross to bleed and die, and he's preaching and teaching about the end of the world and uh, um, pointing out how this is even the fulfillment of uh, the Old Testament scriptures as it's found within himself. And so, uh, again, really key texts that we get here from this where we're probably going to start to focus on this a little bit more towards the uh, time of November where we get to the end of the church year and we teach the truth as Scripture teaches it about what is soon to come. We, uh, we notice a, a, a kind of a, a transition that happens, and uh, this happens uh, after the celebration of St. Michael and all angels in the church. The time after Michael Moss, uh, which was the old name for uh, the celebration of St. Michael and all all angels the last weeks in the church year <clears throat> excuse me the last weeks in the church year have more of a uh, end of the world uh, get ready judgment day kind of a theme and that's going to slowly build until we get to the last sundays in the church year and then it'll continue on the first couple of weeks in advent with regard to that judgment day kind of th- uh, theme and feel here we've got uh, in this a particular text here, Matthew 22, 34 to 46, we have uh, this distinction that is brought out with regard to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And earlier in Matthew 22, and this is Holy Week because uh, Matthew 21 is the triumphant entry of Jesus into uh, Jerusalem. So this is Holy Week. Uh, We're not sure exactly what day, probably Monday or Tuesday or whatever. But um, earlier on in chapter 22, Jesus has a uh, discussion, confrontation, however you want to say it, with the Sadducees, and it doesn't go very well for the Sadducees. What, uh, What can you tell us about that that kind of sets the stage for this section? Well, um, maybe a way to start talking about it would be to point out that in the ancient uh, Jewish world, there are politics, and the politics have divided the people up into different uh, theological and political parties. And so the two main ones that we deal with the most in Scripture are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees are wealthier. They control what goes on in the temple in Jerusalem, and they live in big houses there in Jerusalem. They also have a few theological quirks. They do not believe in the 
resurrection of the dead. Um, and, and there's a few other things, but that's the one that's most important here for this particular part. Whereas you have the Pharisees, which are not really located as much in Jerusalem. They're more in the towns and villages throughout all of Israel. They are lawyers and legalists. Their goal is to figure out how to keep all the details of the law perfectly. And to do so, they create even new laws. So if the, the law says you should not drive over 35 miles an hour, then they'd say, yeah, to make sure you don't do that, drive 30 miles an hour, and then you'll never break that law. So they increase the law to try and keep it. Um, you have these two different groups, and they kind of uh, uh, fight against each other, but when there's a common enemy, as there was in Jesus, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and the two get together and kind of work against him. Uh, the verses right before our text today, Jesus silences the Sadducees, who tried to ask him a trick question about uh, the resurrection of the dead, and uh, uh, Jesus goes ahead and he says, uh, your question's wrong because you don't know the Bible. You don't know uh, what Jesus says or what uh, God says in the scriptures. And uh, he points out that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not uh, the God of dead people, but the God of living. Uh, and he talks about how there is no marriage in the resurrection, but rather most important relationship in our lives then will be our relationship with God himself. Uh, and so he silences the Sadducees who've been made to look fools by the words of scripture taught and preached by Jesus. So the Pharisees are encouraged by the fact that Jesus had just made fools out of the Sadducees. And so now they're going to take this opportunity, uh, you know, kind of like a presidential debate or something like this. They're going to take this opportunity to show the people that not only are they uh, a better class of politicians than the Sadducees, but they're going to show their superior debating skills and they are going to knock Jesus down a notch or two. Vicar, what question do the Pharisees put in the lips of this fancy lawyer to uh, get Jesus to um, be tricked, confused, answer wrongly, whatever? What's the, what's the question? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? So, Pastor, um, why was this chosen as a trick question? What's, what's so controversial about this? Well, um, <clears throat> there's a debate about it, right? What is the most important thing? And uh, when you answer a question like that, then you uh, run the risk of alienating the people that uh, disagree with your answer to that question. But it, it really is sophism, and it, it's kind of a silly question. It's the wrong question in a way, uh, a wrong question that we've been dealing with in our society right now as well, right? We've been pitting commandments against each other when the truth is all of the commandments are God's law and therefore are good and wise. We've been doing this, uh, you know, what's more important to love your neighbor um, by uh, keeping distance and things like that or uh, going to church just like these two are pitting, uh, you know, the first table of the law versus the second table of the law, we've been doing the same thing. And Jesus says, you can't do that. All the law is true and good and wise, and all of it needs to be upheld as the word of Jesus, word of God. You know, that is, uh, that is a brilliant observation with regard to how this connects to our day, pitting one law against another. I didn't realize it that uh, there were certain sects of the Pharisees that were Sabbath day uh, 
Pharisees. There were certain sects of the Pharisees that were cleanliness laws Pharisees. So uh, not only did they have, I don't know, four, five, six hundred different laws that they had added to the scriptures, there were certain aspects of the law that many of these folks were, uh, were really, really, really... Um, emphasizing you can't be a true believer, a true follower of God, unless you follow this particular uh, law or emphasized this particular law. Jesus' answer sounds pretty familiar, Pastor. Um, what what uh, what is Jesus doing? You know, he chided the Sadducees for not knowing the Bible. Is Jesus simply showing his mastery of the Bible here, or is there more to it when he answers the way he does? Well, I mean, he is showing his mastery of the Bible because he's the one who wrote it, right? He's God himself in the flesh. Uh, and so the word that he's quoting here is his own word. And that's what he's doing, just to be absolutely clear. He quotes first Deuteronomy, uh, and I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, if I'm correct. And then later on, he quotes Leviticus chapter 19. And he says, look, this is what God says in the Bible in his own words. And so that's what we're going to take as the truth. And uh, uh, so Jesus. Jesus is, is definitely quoting scripture there and preaching from it, but he's also teaching them that he's not um, just a country bumpkin like they thought from the little town of Nazareth that nobody really knows about where a hundred people live. He is um, wise, and, and as you know from scripture as well, again to quote scripture, the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and that's exactly who God is in Jesus. He is the Lord, and so he is very wise, wisdom itself personified. Jesus speaks and the lawyer and everybody else is silent because Jesus speaks a word of truth, a word of power, and a word of authority. When we come back from our break, we're going to see how Jesus shifts the conversation to where it really needs to be. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Lord of our life and God of our salvation. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the 18th Sunday after Trinity, and we have a little Lord talk going on here at the end of our gospel reading, Matthew 22, 34 to 36. In our previous segment, we did kind of an introduction with regard to the discourses in Matthew. We're here at the final end of the world discourse. Jesus has shamed the Sadducees. The Pharisees now want to give it a try. They send up their prized lawyer, their prized debater. They put a question to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus answers from the Bible and says uh, the, the summary, uh, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And um, 
they were were done. They couldn't speak. Jesus had answered correctly. Uh, he wasn't going to get into a debate on whether the uh, third commandment was more important than the fourth commandment or the fourth commandment more important than the uh, third commandment. He just throws it out there. And in a sense, he says, love. The one word that summarizes the law is love. Love God, love your neighbor, love. And when we are given that law, and that's what love is, it's a law, we realize that we can't love God with our heart, our whole, uh, our heart, our soul, our mind. We can't love our neighbor as ourselves because we are poor, miserable sinners. Is that the point that Jesus is making here, mm-hmm. Pastor? Well, I think uh, it's not a point that he's avoiding, and it's definitely there that um, the whole law is summarized by this idea of love, love God, and love your neighbor. I think what's even more uh, important is um, he's going to teach here, and we're going to get there in a minute here, how he's really the fulfillment of that love. He is love incarnate. He is the one that all the scriptures are about. He's the one who is going to show what love is, and we're going to see that as he talks about who he is as the Christ and and, um, even the incarnation that we learn here in a minute as well. So he's what I think is great is he's going back and he's teaching them what scripture says, and they're asking all these... um, scholastic, sophistic questions, and he's saying, why don't you just go to the Bible and do what the Bible says, which is, in a sense, what we as Lutherans do as well, right? We don't spend a lot of time trying to come up with uh, philosophical answers to things. Rather, what does the Bible say? Stick with that, say no more and no less altogether. Uh, Jesus is doing his uh, CFW Walther impersonation because he uh, he gives them a uh, he gives them a clear full, undiluted dose of the law. And when we are given that law, we are speechless. Um, you you want to you wanna know what the most important law is? Love God, love your neighbor. Um, you'll spend your lifetime doing that, and you'll never get it done. And now, as only Jesus can do, and again, doing his uh, marvelous C.F.W. Walther impersonation and a proper distinction between law and gospel, he's, he completely flips the tables. They want to debate the law. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. He gives them an answer. He shuts them up. He silences them just like he silenced the Sadducees, but he won't stop there. He won't leave them in the crushing nature of the law. And so he turns their focus and their attention where it needs to be. And uh, what, what a, an amazing pivot here. Jesus asked them a question. You know, the, Jesus is uh, pretty much on verbal trial here when the, when the lawyer comes to debate him, and now Jesus flips it around. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Pastor, why is it so masterful, and you alluded to this before, why is it so masterful that Jesus changes the complete topic of the question, the conversation, and yet at the same time, these topics are related? 
Well, it's masterful. He, he is the expert in all of Scripture as it's his own word, and so he knows it forward and backward uh, in a way that none of us will ever be able to comprehend and understand. And so he is able then also to read their their the thoughts of their heart. I don't know how to say it any different than that. He knows where their weaknesses are, um, and everyone has theological weaknesses. God's the one who knows what they are, and so he goes right for that spot. He, uh, he did this with the Sadducees and their disbelief of the resurrection, and now he's going to do it with the Pharisees and their confusion about the identity of who the Christ is. And so uh, he goes right there and uh, uh, cuts real deep right where he needs to, where the chink in the armor is, and he's going to get some good answers then. Vicar, how do the Pharisees, or the lawyer representing the Pharisees, how do they answer Jesus' question with regard to whose son is the Christ? They said to him, the son of David. Okay, so they answered the son of David. Now, bare bones, is that a correct answer? Yes. Yes, it's it's absolutely correct answer. It's an absolute correct answer because it comes right from the Bible. The thing Jesus is now going to teach is you think you know what it means that the Messiah, the Christ, is the son of David. And I'm going to ask you a further question. Um, it almost sounds like a riddle me this joker kind of question, but he is going to teach through the question that he is going to ask, and he is going to shatter everything that the Pharisees thought they knew with regard to the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. Jesus says, um, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And now the question, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Pastor, this is this is not a um, Bible trivia, mystery, silly riddle kind of a question. This is the heart, core, soul, and center of the faith. What is Jesus trying to teach the Pharisees that they refuse to listen to? Well, Jesus is trying to teach them the incarnation, that God is going to become human being uh, to suffer, bleed, and die to forgive sins, and that that has happened within his own uh, flesh, that uh, he is the incarnate God. And that's something that they can't wrap their brains around. They have this high and mighty view of who God is, perhaps in the same way that some Christians do, right? That he's uh, distant, that he's up there and above all these things, and that he won't actually uh, let himself become man to save people from their sins. And so Jesus is trying to teach him that, and he, he goes to the scriptures again. He, he knows the Bible forward and backward. He goes to Psalm 110, and he says, okay, if it's of David, then why does David say this? Why does uh, David call him Lord if he's his son? And you think about it, um, no parent really goes to their child as if they are a Lord. You could maybe say, well, wait till you get to the nursing home, right? But even then, uh, there's this idea that the parent is... Um, above and before the the child is. We even have a whole commandment about this, right? The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. And so Jesus is getting to the point here. 
David is talking about the Messiah, the Christ, and David calls the Messiah and the Christ Lord, and yet we also know that the Messiah or Christ will be descended from David, and so we have a conundrum here. How does this become true? The uh, teaching of the Incarnation, the teaching of the two natures of Christ, is, uh, is something that human beings cannot create. You cannot fathom this. This is a divine teaching. This is a divine revelation. You can, uh, you could, you know, the law comes naturally to all of us, but the gospel must be revealed to us. And while this this is taught throughout the pages of the Old Testament, that the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ would be both true God and true man at the same time. For, for many people then and for many people now. The idea of God taking on flesh and blood, God taking on humanity, the creator becoming one of the created, this is a blasphemous article. And yet in this apparent blasphemy, God works out the salvation of the world. You want to you be saved by keeping the law? Go for it. Knock yourself out. Jesus flips the table on end and says your salvation is in and only in the son of David. But you better get who he is correct as well. Is that a fair uh, assessment, Pastor? I think it is, and I think we have to understand, too, that there's this um, David complex or idea within the Jewish nation, uh, especially as they are uh, ruled by foreigners, the Romans, right? They have this idea that the Messiah is going to come and he's merely going to be a new David, a David who will restore their kingdom and put it in its rightful place. And then they're missing all the parts about uh, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and all that goes with that. And uh, that's they have this idea, David's the new David, the Messiah is just going to be kind of a ruler and, and military figure. And Jesus is now saying, no, look, the real David is looking up to something greater, something bigger, something more. And and if we go back to the Old Testament, the promises that God makes to Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, to David, and his offspring forever is something more than just that military uh, kingdom sort of worldly talk. It is eternity talk. I love I love that how you brought that out. I uh, I don't know that I thought about that much before the uh, David complex that they had. They're they're ruled by foreigners and they longed for the good old days. They had this nostalgia thinking about, oh, you know, what it was like, what it was like before the Romans took over, what it was like before the kingdom split. Oh, you know, if only we had David back. And we have that same thing going on today. Oh, you remember what it was back before the lockdowns? Oh, do you remember what it was like before the pandemic? Oh, do you remember what it was like before politics turned into whatever politics is today and invariably those kind of discussions get into a nitpicking discussion about which rule or which law is more important the more things change the more they stay the same what's a faithful preacher to do point people to christ the true son of david whose life death and resurrection is the epitome of of love, forgiveness, life, and salvation. Oh, we need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. 
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele II. We're privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Love to have you come worship with us. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with family Bible study for all ages in between. We worship on Wednesday evenings year-round at 6.30. Everything we do worship-wise is broadcast on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln. If you're outside of our listening area, you can pick us up on the KNNA app or go to thecross957.org, our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org. We have lots of uh, things in our archives, and uh, if you're a podcast kind of person, go to KNNA Theological Programming. Is that right, Pastor? That would be correct. Uh, It should be on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Lightbox, or a couple other places as well. Sermons, Bible studies, hymn studies, all kinds of stuff on there. Check it out. We'd love to have your feedback, and it is a a great honor and privilege for us to serve not only the folks here at Good Shepherd, but the wider church in this way. The Old Testament reading for the 18th Sunday after Trinity, Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 21. Vicar, please. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 21. Pastor, can you tell us a little bit? I don't, I mean, We've got some great stuff here. I don't want to get bogged down too much in this. Can you tell us a little bit about the book of Deuteronomy and who's doing the talking and what the location is of the children of Israel? Some some of those background kind of things, because I think that's important. Yeah, um, 
we definitely can. The Deuteronomy is uh, literally uh, two words in Greek, deutero, which means second, and nomos, which means law. And so it's the second time God's giving the law. And uh, just to kind of put this in a little bit of even more specific context, we know that uh, from your movie we were talking about earlier in between uh, episodes, or segments, the Ten Commandments, Moses goes up and God writes the Ten Commandments for him on uh, stone tablets, and he brings them down, and they're, uh, I think the way it says, playing uh, with the golden calf down at the bottom of the mountain, and Moses throws the tablets down, and they break and crack. And so we have right there, uh, right before this in chapter 10, Moses re- cuts out two new tablets of stone and engraves upon them the Ten Commandments again. And that's the part that goes immediately before this. And so Moses is speaking these things, but they're not Moses's words. They're the words of the Lord through Moses. Uh, and so that's exactly the thing that's being talked about here. We have uh, the children of Israel do not move a single inch in the book of Deuteronomy. They are camped out on the uh, edge of the Jordan River. They are looking across the Jordan River into the promised land. I like to equate the uh, book of Deuteronomy like living in Iowa. And uh, you can look across the Missouri River into the promised land of Nebraska. Uh, That that always gets people's uh, excitement level or ire up, depending on uh, if you're a Nebraskan or an Iowan. But they don't move an inch. And if memory serves me, we have three discourses or three sermons of Moses that are recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy. And here we are in Deuteronomy 10, and Jesus is uh, echoing, quoting so much of what the Holy Spirit through Moses is teaching here. Uh, this question to begin with, and it's, it's amazing, we don't often hear it in a question form. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes which I am commanding you today for your good? That's a question. It's a rhetorical question because this is exactly what God does demand of us. Now, when I look at that, Pastor, I'm crushed. Because if this is what God requires of me as his child, as a member of his church, fear, walk, love, serve uh, with all my heart and soul, keep everything that he is commanding. Um, Pastor, how is this not a crushing word from God to which no one, absolutely no one can stand. Well, I think it is uh, crushing to our sinful nature, our old nature, our old Adam, if you will. I think uh, I didn't get to the part about the geography here. They're around the area of Mount Nebo, which is in today Jordan, uh, and they're looking down at this valley, and uh, they're soon to cross the Jordan River and enter into the area of Jericho, uh, and they do that by walking through the water. And it's then also very near to the site where later on Jesus himself is baptized by St. John the Baptist. So I think 
there's where we do fear, love, and trust in God above all things is in the waters of holy baptism where the new man is raised within us to live before God in righteousness and purity forever while the old sinful nature is drowned in those waters of holy baptism. So I think when we have a location where we have all these similar events happening in the same place, that's a a key understanding for us as Christians as we read this text. Now, after this crushing law— Uh, to tell you that uh, Moses can also do a CFW Walther impersonation. After this crushing law, we have... Almost like all these folks in the Bible are actually really Lutherans. They really are, and it is just... I mean, sometimes people hear that and are offended, but uh, I would say rather than be offended, take a good hard look at the Holy Scriptures and be honest with what they say, because this proper distinction between law and gospel is everywhere... Um, unfortunately, it's not even in all Lutheran churches today. But after this crushing law, beginning in verse 14, behold, Vicar, do you want to read uh, verses 14 and 15 of Deuteronomy 10 again? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. In a sense, Pastor, the answer to the Ten Commandments or the answer to the crushing law that we have in the first two verses uh, of Deuteronomy 10 in our text, 12 and 13, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seems to answer with the first two articles of the Apostles' Creed. Is that a, uh, I mean, have you ever thought about that in that way? Not exactly in that way, but I I think that's true. And I think then again, you know, it drives us back to baptism where he called and selected us and uh, called us out of the world to be his child, adopted us as his heirs. And I think that's the same thing here. It is by grace that we have been saved, not by the fulfillment of the law on our part. And in... uh 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to go in 1 Corinthians 1 a little bit, but in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, the Holy Spirit teaches us that the children of Israel were baptized into Moses when they crossed through the uh, dry ground, uh, the former Red Sea waters, and so that connection is there. God created everything. God called you. God chose you to be his people. You are a specific people. So now this crushing law, which is fulfilled as a gift from God, now this law is how we should live and order our lives. What was true for Israel in Deuteronomy 10 is true for the new Israel today, which is the Holy Christian Church. Pastor, in uh, verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice. Now it goes on talking about executing uh, justice for the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner. How is the key to understanding this text and all of the Old Testament to understand the ultimate act of God's judgment isn't how he takes care of widows and aliens, but what happened on Good Friday? 
Well, I think even the words that go right before that where it says he does not take a bride, it almost echoes the words that we have. Uh, he saved us um, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, innocent suffering and death, that we may be his own. Uh, he He's kind of echoing those words, or rather those words are echoing this idea uh, that justice that God executes is executed upon Jesus who bleeds and dies uh, in place of the sin that I have committed and that you have committed. Um, All the things that you've done that deserve the death penalty, and there are many, um, Jesus gets the death penalty for you in that regard. It's um, the same idea that's in many literary works that are very famous. For example, A Tale of Two Cities uh, echoes this idea, and it is the gospel in that regard. Um, Jesus dying for the many, that's the gospel. And our response, verse 21 of our text in Deuteronomy 10, he is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. His love, our response, when we realize that God has executed his own son and that in his divine judgment we are forgiven of all of our sins, uh, which are many and deserve the death penalty. Our result is to pray, praise, and give thanks. Very, very creedal in nature with regard to the Old Testament text for Trinity 18. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. When we come back, we're going to look at our epistle reading, Ephesians 1, 1 to 9. Don't change that dial. where there is no peace. That's what the false prophet teaches and preaches. Jesus, the true prophet, the fulfillment of all of God's word, brings true peace. Peace, which is the forgiveness of sins. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 18th Sunday after Trinity. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We are at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and the uh, epistle reading is 4 through 9. The optional reading is 1 through 3. We've got all nine verses for us here. Vicar, take it away. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sothenius, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift 
as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. What a great, uh, what a great line there. And we have... Uh, we have kind of bookends when we when we add these first three verses onto our pericope text, these optional verses. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Pastor, a few words on the calling of all as Christians and then the specific calling that Paul is talking about in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 1. What are they? How are they different? How are they related? Well, um, all people who are Christian have a call, and we confess this in the uh, third article of the Apostles' Creed, that the Holy Spirit has called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified the entire Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And this is the call that takes place by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's words and the proper administration of the sacraments. And so that call to become a Christian is there, and it is uh, scriptural, and it's true. Uh, but the Paul, the, the call that Paul, whew, gotta get those words right here, the call that Paul is talking about here. For, the call that Paul, formerly named Saul. That's right. Um, <laughs> that he got in the hall, right? No. Uh, that call is a little different one, and that is the call uh, to be an apostle. An apostle is one who has been sent out specifically by Jesus Christ uh, to preach his word and administer the sacraments and to record for us the books of Holy Scripture. Uh, it is a, a word, apostle, that's a little different than disciple or other thing like that. It means one who's leading and, and uh, uh, sent out to do that work. And this happens for Paul uh, as he is on the road to Damascus. And he mentions that three times in the book of Acts. Uh, it leads to his conversion and his preaching and teaching, uh, and that's the call that uh, Paul is talking about here. Um, it, it does echo, and it's very similar to the call of a pastor to preach the word and minister the sacraments on behalf of the church, and yet it is just a little bit more as well to be an apostle than just a regular pastor. So, so we are talking here about the connectedness and the relationship between what Lutherans sometimes call the uh, priesthood of all believers— or the uh, priesthood of the baptized and the office of the holy ministry, um, we are called by God through his word connected to water in holy baptism. And this creates a unity, and this is the unity that Paul, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us in Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, all the one, 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 one stuff. Uh, it's connected here to this calling, and we are a part of the church, and then God takes some in the church, and he calls them to a specific vocation, which is to preach and teach the Word. And Paul is preaching and teaching here. He's writing in this letter to the people in Corinth. Pastor, I don't want to swallow up all of our time. 
Tell us a little bit about Corinth and Paul's relationship to Corinth. Yeah, uh, Paul visits um, uh, the the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Corinth is an important city. It is on an isthmus in Greek, and uh, they had a highway with uh, rollers built across the isthmus where they could roll ships across rather than to um, uh, go around that extra miles, which kept people safer and uh, also then allowed the more... Uh, guarantee that your cargo would make it safely. Uh, Paul visits Corinth shortly after Claudius uh, expels all the Jews from the city of Rome, and this would then be not very long before Claudius is murdered by his wife uh, in favor of her son Nero. Uh, And uh, when Paul visits Corinth, there's problems, there's conflict, there's riots, and in fact, uh, a man named Sosthenes, who's a ruler in the synagogue, a Jewish Christian in Corinth, uh, is is beaten by a mob of people who are trying to get to Paul when Paul is kept safe uh, from that beating. And so you'll notice here that in those words we have Sosthenes mentioned as well. And so uh, there is a connection there. All these connections I think are important. They show us the reality that this is really written by Paul to real people in Corinth at a real time and a real place. So the the city is uh, kind of a rich city. It has it uh, lots of trade going back and forth. It is, and it's a, a large city, an important city on the uh, eastern part of the Roman Empire in that regard. It's not um, as important as it may be a little later on in history, but it is uh, a leading city at that time. Okay, so it is... Uh, on the fi- up and up. Financially and culturally, it is it is a place that is moving and shaking and happening. Mainly from the trade money that's going through there okay and the reason i brought that up is because that makes sense out of what paul emphasizes here beginning in verse five uh, talking about how the grace and peace of god in christ jesus has been given to you and then in verse five that in every way you were enriched in him uh don't worry about uh monetary riches, don't worry about cultural riches, don't worry about philosophical riches. Christ has given you all the riches that you need. And then he goes specifically and he says, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. We're going to get into this spiritual gift stuff later on in 1 Corinthians, and it'll come to a head in uh, chapter 14. But he's already laying the foundation here. Pastor, in what way are the people that Paul is writing to in Corinth enriched in Jesus and not lacking in any spiritual gift? Well, uh, in Jesus, they have the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and uh, hope forevermore. And this is uh, then, and this is the issue in Corinth, right, in uh, stark contrast to what they think they have in terms of their trade money uh, and their love of things in the world, uh, their um, sexual issues that they have that he's going to deal with, their financial issues, their misunderstanding of particular doctrines of the church. It's a really conflicted congregation because they're trying to deal with their pagan worldview and love of the world versus the truth, which is Jesus Christ and the love of what he gives 
lives. And Paul is trying to set these things at contrast here with these words. Vicar, I know you're you're a young man. You're, you're in a different uh, uh, generation than uh, uh, your uh, older associate pastor, Moline, and your really, really older uh, supervising pastor, Poppy, here. Um, the, the people in Corinth wanted to be rich and famous and wise. They wanted the world to know them. They wanted, uh, uh, they wanted to be popular. Uh, so this being rich in Jesus, in the forgiveness of sins, was completely foreign to them. How is this very, very similar to the situation that we find today in our culture, uh, especially people your age and younger? Well, today there's a lot of things tugging at people's hearts in my generation. There's a lot of ideas out there of what it means to have a fulfilling, enriched life, being, you know, self-actualized, taking full care of yourself and, you know, being on the up and up with social trends and what is just and equitable and this and that and everything else, whereas in the Bible— it says right here we are fully enriched in Christ. And when there's a lot of voices clamoring around in your ears saying this is what it means to have a fulfilling, enriched life, the word of the Spirit, the word of the Lord is easily drowned out. The uh, primary thing that I'm thinking about that I hear often from younger people is the only way that you can have an enriched life is to put off marriage until you're in your late 20s or 30s or 40s, till you have a, a good job, till you have lots of money in the bank. And uh, if you should get pregnant in the meantime, that would be a burden. So you need to, you need to get rid of that baby, uh, which they wouldn't consider a baby, because uh, these things of this world are so important. And God promises something completely different. It rocks our mind. It rocks our world. All of these things that we think are important will let us down. But, Pastor, Paul says God is faithful. How is that a promise that everybody can take to the bank? Well, uh, it doesn't always seem that God is faithful, right? Because uh, we face challenges and difficulties. We see our friends and loved ones get sick and die. We uh, feel hungry and uh, maybe uh, lacking in items that we think we need oftentimes in our lives. And yet the truth is there. Behind all the scenes, God really is faithful and that the gift that he is going to give, we might not fully realize and see now, but we will when finally our life in this world comes to its end and we're taken to the world that's come and then even more fully realized on the last day when Jesus raises our bodies and restores our body and soul together as one so that we might live before him forever, body and soul. So the promise is there and God will keep that promise and Paul is reminding them that. Amen, amen, amen. Vicar, you want to bring things to a close with the collect for the day. Let us pray. Oh God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 We thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. You just heard the readings for the 18th Sunday after Trinity. When you get up on Sunday morning, read your paper, drink your coffee. Please, please, please pray for your pastors and most importantly... Go to church.
God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.